Okay, as the parents are coming back in, I just invite you to find your seats. This morning has been so good already. Um, and I love when God puts things together like this. But throughout the worship set and the prophetic words, um, he's, he's got a whole theme going this morning. So I'm excited to be able to dig into the word together um, in this next period of time. We are, today, we are going to try to catch up with the quizzers. Um, and for the next six weeks or so, we're going to look at the quizzing material that the quizzers have been studying all week when we gather together on Sunday mornings. So, but because of the week of prayer, weeks of prayer and fasting, they are halfway into the book of Matthew already. So um, I have a strict timeline. I know the quiz starts at 2 o'clock, and I'm going to see what I can do to get through 16 chapters. No, just kidding. I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on the three chapters that they're working on this week, but I want to give a little bit of a background um, since we are kind of jumping into the middle of Matthew. Um, we've been studying the book of Matthew. Matthew has 28 chapters. It is the longest gospel. Um, we study it in the ESV version, so that is what I'm going to be trying to pay, pay close attention to in the wording as I speak this morning, because for those of you who may not be aware of how quizzing is set up, every pronoun counts. It's very, very particular in the wording, um, so I'm going to try not to mess the quizzers up by using other wording, but I... I can't totally promise because sometimes I have things memorized in a different version. Matthew was a tax collector. He was one of the 12 that Jesus called to follow him as his inner circle of apostles, of disciples. But he was a tax collector. I don't know if you know much about tax collectors back then, but, I mean, this was 2,000 years ago. Yes, they paid taxes back then, too. Matthew was a Jewish person who was collecting taxes for the Roman government. Yeah, that kind of puts you on the bad list. So Matthew most likely um, was one of those who collected taxes along the main trade route that ran through the country. The audience... The people to whom he was writing the book of Matthew were Greek-speaking Jews. Um, and you'll see his purpose over and over again was to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus really was the promised Messiah that had been promised for hundreds of years. There are a lot of references to Old Testament scriptures throughout the book of Matthew, a lot of them. And over and over again, we see Matthew using the scriptures that the Jewish people knew and had memorized and heard preached and taught to show them that Jesus really was the fulfillment of that promise. He has three main themes throughout the, the book of Matthew. He shows Jesus as the promised Messiah and he was from the line of David, he shows Jesus as a new Moses, an authoritative teacher. Um, in chapter 7, 
verses 28 and 29, Jesus had just finished a large block of teaching, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, It's kind of been given that title. Um, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And then Matthew also focuses on Jesus as God with us, Emmanuel, the God who came to live among us. Matthew includes many stories of the many mighty works that Jesus did. All of the, the different healings and of sicknesses and disease, the casting out of demons, multiplying food and calming the storms. And also throughout the book of Matthew, there are five large blocks of teachings. This week, we're going to pick up in the middle of Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew um, was teaching, he did a, a, Jesus did a lot of teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 13, there are several short parables that I just want to read through and highlight. Um, because as we enter this next season, I feel like the, the kingdom of heaven is near here as well. We are seeing a shift. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And I don't think any of us really understand what that means and how that is going to rearrange our lives. Um, so let's, let's, the focus that I'd like to take this morning is to just look at how the kingdom of heaven was unfolding as Jesus walked on the earth. Um, I'm going to pick up in chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, nope, I'm going to start before that, sorry. I want to start at verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now today they have found smaller seeds, but back then the mustard seed was the smallest seed that they knew of. Okay, The kingdom of heaven is like... A mustard seed. Did we even see where it went? Did anyone catch that? You actually caught one? All the way over there. All right, Caden. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. But when it is planted in the ground, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. I made I, I messed that up. The largest it is but when it has grown it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. All I have to do is look at Lydia and she will keep me in line today. She knows if I say the wrong pronoun. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a small seed. And when you plant it in the ground, what does a seed do? It's hidden. It actually dies so that it can bring forth life. But when it grows, it is large and it provides a place of shelter, a place of dwelling, a dwelling place. The birds come. In this parable, the birds come and they sit in its branches. It's a dwelling place. It's a place of shelter. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. We use yeast, right? Do any of you have sourdough starter that you like continually feed and, and use? Wow, you do? Maybe I have to learn from you. Okay, so, so the idea of sourdough starter is you've got this bit of starter that is the leaven. And then when you mix it, a little bit of leaven, you mix it with a whole bunch of flour, the leaven leavens the whole dough. And then you've got bread. The kingdom of heaven permeates a person's life. The kingdom of heaven permeates the region, and it brings growth and change and life. Bread is considered life, right? It's a staple in many, many countries. It is sustenance. It is life. We'll jump to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Before there were banks, there were banks. Just dirt banks, right? (laughs) It was... They didn't have banks back then, so they would find a bank and bury their treasure in the bank or the field or whatever. Like it was, that was a common thing to do. If you had treasure, you would bury it to protect it, to keep it safe. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, no, it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up because he found it, but then he recovered it so that he could go buy that field and then also have the treasure that was in the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it is worth giving up everything you have in order to attain it. Jesus spoke in parables, and he used illustrations that the people would understand. Maybe we don't understand all of these, but let me just use a common phrase that we have today. The kingdom of heaven is worth putting all of your eggs into one basket. We usually say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Don't invest everything in one spot. But let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. It is worth investing 
everything in one spot. It is worth putting all of your eggs in one basket to obtain, to attain the kingdom of heaven. It is worth it. As we've been pressing in, not just in this last month, but over time, we've been praying, we've been listening, we've been asking the Spirit for strategies in the spiritual realm in this region. And we have this anticipation. We are on the edge of seeing those promises fulfilled. They're right there. And God is faithful. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is ready to break through and to come and dwell in this region in a new way, in a way greater than what we've ever seen. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near. But what does that mean? What does that really mean? What does that look like? I'm just going to read a few sections from Matthew earlier in the book. Because when Jesus came and lived on the earth, he was preaching and teaching and he was showing the people what the kingdom of heaven looks like. In chapter 4, we see that Jesus left Nazareth where he grew up and he lived, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here's one of those spots where Matthew brings in the Old Testament scriptures. In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven has come near? We see in there, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, On them, a light has dawned. And we continue to declare that in this region. For those living in darkness, they will see a great light. For those living in the region and shadow of death, a light has dawned. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus went throughout the land, teaching and preaching. And he also did a lot of great, mighty works. In chapter 15, we read about another one of these times. Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them so that the crowd wondered. 
they wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Even if they didn't realize that Jesus was God, they glorified God for what Jesus was doing. See, when the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when the kingdom of heaven has come near, people living in darkness will see a great light. They will be set free. When the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there will be physical healings, not just for the purpose of our own goodness, but for the purpose of giving glory to God. That's the whole reason that he uses healings and miracles. Healings and miracles, I like to tell the kids in the back, healings and miracles are like a dinner bell in the spirit. And they call people back to God. The main purpose is not just so we can be healthy. The main purpose is so that we will glorify God. That's why he wants to break out with healings and miracles. So that we will give glory to God. So that people will come into his kingdom. So that there will be transformation in this region. The other part of what Jesus did when he came is he confronted the religious leaders and the status quo. And he presented a whole different way of looking at God's kingdom. Some people call it an upside-down kingdom. So in this upside-down kingdom, you love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. In this upside-down kingdom, you forgive others rather than seeking revenge. You give instead of hoarding things. You gain wealth by giving it away. You receive honor by serving. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not the way the world operates. It's not the way the world thinks. It's not the way the world teaches young people to act. Right? So when Jesus comes, when the kingdom of heaven comes, it changes the way we approach life. So how do we prepare for this upside-down kingdom to come? How do we prepare for that? I believe we have a spiritual assignment in this region. I believe we are called to be the watchmen at the gate. Not only are we the watchmen who give a battle cry when the enemy is coming against us, but we are also the watchmen who issue the proclamation when the Lord is near. The watchmen would also give that that cry, the king is coming, the king is coming. And that's part of our role as watchmen is when we get to help usher in, we get to help usher in King Jesus. The king is coming. He is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have that forerunner call. There's that forerunner call on this congregation, but also 
on some of us as individuals. You guys, some of us have been walking in that and living that for years, even when we didn't understand it. But part of the forerunner call is that of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we prepare for the kingdom of heaven to come? It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. And we've been doing a lot of repentance, corporate repentance, repenting for the sins of the church in this region for the last couple hundred years. But I also strongly believe that we need to approach it with personal repentance as well. Sometimes we have no idea that we've got a mindset that's been up that is sin, that is against God's desires for us. And one of those things that I that I felt very um, that was revealed to me and that I felt convicted of during the week of prayer and fasting was my mindset of lack. And God's been dealing with me with that. From the outward appearance, nobody would know. It's not one of those, you know, in the big Ten Commandments, obvious murder, adultery, whatever. But it's a lack, lack of trust, complete trust, feeling like um, my gifts aren't good enough or I don't have enough or this isn't good enough or whatever. It's my mind, my thoughts coming into alignment with the enemy instead of into alignment with God. And so what do we do? What are we called to do? Repent. Repent. Confess that sin. Confess that mindset. Repent. And God is so good. He is so gracious. He reveals these things to us so that he can take care of them for us. So what, does, what do we do? What is the first thing we are called to repent? I want to just look at a few verses in chapter 15. Jesus was having a whole dialogue with the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, he had a lot of these throughout the book of Matthew um, because he was coming up against the, the religious leaders and their very rigid legalistic ways of, of thinking and doing life and and um, the demands that they had on the people that were um, outward appearance things but didn't necessarily deal with the heart. And Jesus is always going for our hearts. So he's having this whole dialogue. And then we'll pick this up in um, verse 10. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. I hope, I hope my team is really listening right now, by the way, because I'm reading directly from here, okay? So we're not going to miss any of the questions from this part, right? Okay. All of the quizzers should be listening. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth 
this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that saying? Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that, this, defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus, you know, there were several Ten Commandments in that list. But then he goes, he sandwiches them with attitudes, things. Evil thoughts and slander. Jesus is constantly calling us back to himself and going for our hearts. It's not just about the outward actions. It's our hearts. It's our motives. It's our thoughts. And that's where he wants us to be holy. That's where he wants us to be pure. Because what's in our hearts comes out through our mouth. And so he goes for our heart. He says, repent. Do a 180. That's what repent means, to completely turn and go the opposite direction. Let's do a 180. Let's set ourselves apart for his purposes. So along with repenting is a call to holiness. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be dedicated or devoted to the service of God. To be holy means to be set apart or set aside for something special. Not set aside like you're cast aside, but you're set aside, you're set apart for a purpose. Holiness is growing to become more like God in our character and in our actions through the power of the Holy Spirit. The holiness of Jesus is not just an absence of sin. We are called to be holy from the Old Testament times all through the New Testament scriptures. Over and over again, God says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Do you know what the angels are saying as they worship Jesus around the throne right now this morning? As we were worshiping, we were joining with the angels. We were worshiping holy, holy, holy is our God. I know that's not like the same melody line, but that's what it was. Holy, holy, holy 
is our God. He is holy. He cannot look upon sin. We should all be dead, but we're not. Why not? Because Jesus came to buy us back. He came to redeem our lives so that we can be in relationship with God again. But God is still holy. And so our call from him is be holy as I am holy. Be pure and be set apart for my purposes. Holiness is a process. It takes diligence and effort. There's a whole book called The Pursuit of Holiness, written by Jerry Bridges, and I just want to um, share one quote from that. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. We have this this, um, thing that happens God gives us the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus, but yet he also calls us to walk that out. Sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes it's hard for our brains to understand. We have it, and yet we also need to walk in it. Maybe that's a simpler way of doing it. And he gives it to us. He gives us the holiness, but he also gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to keep walking that out as our minds are renewed, like Carla has said, as our minds are renewed and we continue to make choices of holiness. There are several different verses on your sheet. Um, I'll just read two of them. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And 2 Timothy 1.9, I'm using the Amplified because it's not in the quizzing material. For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose, not because of our works or because of any personal merit. We could do nothing to earn this, but because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, eternal ages ago. He delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose. So how do we prepare for this kingdom? How do we prepare for the kingdom of heaven to come near? Repent. Be set apart. Walk in holiness. And number three, align yourself with Jesus. And looking at the quizzing material again, I'm going to pick this up in chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Okay, so the, the people all thought he was a prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He was maybe the prophet Elijah was like, um, it was 
it had been um, prophesied that there would come one before the Messiah, there would come one who w- came in the spirit of the prophet Elijah, which we know was, the jo- was John the Baptist. But people thought maybe Jesus was the Elijah. Okay? So they, they thought he was a good prophet. He was a good teacher. They liked him because he healed their sick people. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 15, who, but who do you say that I am? It's not just about what other people say. It's not about, know, it's, it's not about knowing about Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus asks us that same question. Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's something dynamic that happens when we come into alignment with Jesus. Where's Clay? Did he say? You learned a little bit about alignment the last couple weeks, didn't you? Alignment in a vehicle? Yeah. What, What happens... If you're driving in a vehicle that is out of alignment, okay, I, I, I was, I asked Clay, not you, Christy. <laughs> okay, so honestly, though, I want us. I want us to understand that, okay? When our, yes, 2 o'clock, Clay, we got it. (laughs) In the morning. And you still quiz out all three times, so no excuses today. Okay. Alignment makes a big difference, right? If you're driving in a vehicle that is out of alignment, you might not notice it at first. Or you struggle against it. You just keep adjusting the wheel, adjusting the wheel, uh, I mean the steering wheel, adjusting the steering wheel, adjusting the steering wheel. (laughs) Maybe I should have asked permission to use this illustration. (laughs) Until eventually you have an issue with the tires as well. My point is this. We can be driving down the road in our relationship with Jesus, in life, and we can be constantly trying to stay in alignment, stay in alignment, stay in alignment, but we've got this wear and tear that's happening because we're just, we're fighting against it. We're fighting against it. We're not truly aligning ourselves with Jesus. But when we align ourselves with Jesus, something powerful happens. In this verse, in these verses, Jesus says to Peter, because Peter understood, he got it, he, he declared with his mouth who Jesus is. 
And Jesus said to him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This was not permission for Peter to just go willy-nilly wielding this authority. It wasn't that. But when we're in alignment with Jesus, he gives us divine authority to shift things in the spiritual realm so that his kingdom can be released in a greater way, so that his kingdom will be at hand, so that his kingdom can come near. It takes repentance. It takes setting ourselves apart for God's purposes. It takes alignment with Jesus. And then he releases his authority. And the fourth one, the fourth suggestion that we find here in how to prepare for the kingdom of heaven is to deny ourselves. If we look at verse 16, I mean, chapter 16, excuse me, starting in at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is one of the sayings of Jesus. This is the one saying of Jesus that gets the most emphasis in the New Testament. It's recorded in all four Gospels. There's one miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, which is the feeding of the 5,000. And then there's this saying, this short teaching that's recorded in all four Gospels. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to deny yourself? A few suggestions here. To stop making self the object of your life, your energy, everything you do. Another biggie is to stop self-trust. That one's hard. We, bec- we are ingrained from little on up to be self-sufficient. We try to be self-sufficient in our, in, um, in our way of life. We try to be self-sufficient in so many ways. Um, you've got people that are trying to completely live off the grid and be totally self-sufficient and not dependent on anybody for anything. But remember, this is an upside-down kingdom. And in the upside-down kingdom, we need to stop relying on ourselves and trust in God and in his strength and in his power to do what he's asked us to do. Now, my papers are all mixed up here. 
What does it mean to deny ourselves? Selfish desires really are at the root of all sin, and I think that's why Jesus goes after this. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Because selfishness is at the root of all evil. What does it mean to take up your cross? The men of Galilee, Galilee knew what it meant to take up their cross. The, the people that Jesus was speaking to, his disciples that he was giving this instruction to, they understood what it meant to take up their cross. They were living under Roman rule. And if somebody was accused of something, even if it was not that major, and the Romans decided you needed to die, you would be tied to the crossbeam, and you would walk through the streets with your cross on your back, the crossbeam on your back, until you would get outside the city to the place where the posts were, and then you would be, your crossbeam would be put up on that post, and you would be crucified there. They understood what it meant to take up their cross in the literal sense of the word. What does it mean in the spiritual sense? to take up our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? It means complete dedication to God's way of doing things. I would like to read a quote from A.W. Tozer. The crucified life is a life absolutely committed to following after Christ Jesus. To be more like him. To think like him. To act like him. To love like him. Those living the crucified life do not seek place or wealth or fame or high positions. Rather, they want to know God and be where Jesus is to take up your cross includes being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. So Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? To walk in his ways. To think his thoughts to respond with his words and actions, to live by the upside-down kingdom principles. To follow Jesus means to trust in God and willingly obey. And that sounds like a whole scripted list right there. In reality, to follow Jesus means that I lay down my rights for certain things. And that's big in our society. Well, I've got the right to be. And I've got the right to be like this. It's my right. That person did this to me, so I've got the right to do whatever. No, Jesus said, I'm saying the principles of my upside-down kingdom are to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Walk in the ways that I walk. As we corporately join with other churches and other believers in this region, 
to usher in King Jesus. And as we invite the Holy Spirit to make this region his dwelling place, we also have our part in helping to prepare the way for the kingdom of heaven to come near. So I'd like if we could just take a little bit of time. I've asked Chuck to play a song. And there's just a little spot on the back of your handouts, like a response spot. Will I prepare my heart? Repent? Deny myself? Align with Jesus and follow his way of doing life? See, the kingdom of heaven is near. It has come near. It is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven, this upside-down kingdom, it will change the way we do life. And we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to change the way we do life. That's what that resolution says. We need to be ready for that, right? So let's just take this time. I invite you to take this time just right where you are to just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants to do in your heart, what he wants to do in your life. This is just you and God time. Go ahead, Chuck.
My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will give each of us that desire. See, the ironic thing is we want to live for Jesus, and yet we need him to help us live for him. We can't do it on our own strength. Our spirit cries out, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be obedient. We want to say yes. And yet our soul and our flesh and our minds fight us. And we really, truly need the power of the Holy Spirit to live out what we so desire to do. So this morning, the invitation is this. There is a yes that you want to be able to say to Jesus. And you need someone to agree in prayer with you so that you actually have the power of the Holy Spirit to, to walk out that yes. I invite you to come for prayer. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's denying yourself. Maybe it's taking a step of obedience to step out and do something that you know God's calling you to do, but you haven't had the strength or the energy to do it. The Holy Spirit is here. And he wants to give us the power that we need to live the life that Jesus is calling us to live. So I just invite you to come. Prayer team, you guys can come up. Worship team can come. And I just want to pray a blessing. Jesus, I thank you that your kingdom is near, that your kingdom has come. It is at hand in this region. 
And we just invite you today to continue to pour out the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in obedience, to enable us to walk in repentance, to enable us to deny ourselves and follow you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We just, I I love you, Jesus. I don't understand how this all works, but I thank you that you give us the desire and the power to be obedient to you. And we invite you to come and to continue to do your work in our lives today and, and in this region. In Jesus' name, amen.